Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy. In this episode, I interview Rod Belcher, who writes under the name R.S. Belcher, about his new book, Six-Gun Tarot. Six-Gun Tarot combines elements of the Western, fantasy, and horror genres, and is met with considerable critical praise. Rod's an interesting character. He's a longtime journalist, and he's also done stints as a private investigator, a DJ, and a comic book and game store owner. He has multiple degrees, including in criminal law, psychology, and justice and risk administration. And he's even worked with the Occult Crime Task Force in the Virginia General Assembly's State Crime Commission. I hope you enjoy. (laughs) Hi, this is Dan Nexon, and I have Rod Belcher on the line. Rod, are you there? Hi, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank, Thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Now, before we start recording, we were talking, and you said that uh, Six Gun Tarot is your first novel, but it is neither your first work of fiction uh, nor your first foray into writing. So could you give us a little bit of your own background, particularly uh, with respect to your previous ethereal uh, experience, uh, before we get into the book itself? Sure. Um, I uh, have been writing uh, for about – professionally, I've been writing for about uh, 10 years, a little bit over 10 years, actually about 11 years now. Um, I, uh, was interested in writing for a living. Uh, I did a lot of, uh, nonfiction work, uh, newspapers, magazines, uh, actually did an, uh, interview with David Drake, uh, for Starlog magazine, uh, many, many years ago. And, um, I, uh, basically, uh, have been working in short fiction for, for quite a few years and have a pretty decent collection of short, short fiction pieces, um, the, the only one that uh, is really kind of notable is uh, I did a, um, a genre piece uh, for uh, Simon & Schuster. They had a contest for a book series they had called Strange New Worlds, which was uh, designed to kind of get uh, fans and folks who were not professional writers to uh, write and have a chance to get published. And uh, I uh, won the grand prize for a story I wrote called Orphans which uh, showed up in Strange New Worlds number nine. And then I had a story uh, called Fear Itself, which uh, made the editor's cut for Strange New Worlds number 10, which was the last volume in the series before Simon & Schuster, uh, or I guess it's Pocket Books, uh, decided to to end the series. Um, And I made the editor's uh, list for the the final volume, but somewhere in between that and... uh, the powers that be, uh, they decided to cut my story. So I didn't get into the last volume, but I did get into Strange New Worlds uh, number nine. And that was really my first uh, publishing credit. And then uh, several years later, uh, I was very fortunate enough to uh, to sell Six Gun Tarot to, uh, to Tor Books. And uh, that's 
that's pretty much my writing career. That's, that's the high points of my writing career right now. So. so you've already been introduced to the vagaries of the genre fiction market um, before even <laughs> publishing your first book. Now, those two, sto- those two short stories were set in the Star Trek universe. Is that correct? Yeah, I, uh, that's correct. I, um, uh, basically, actually, I, I like to take a lot of things from different places and kind of mash them up. It's, uh, it's very evident in Six Gantero. And to be honest, it's also evident in the Star Trek stories I did. Um, uh, took uh, things from some of the different series and kind of uh, uh, said, well, if this, what, this happened in this series and this happened in this series, uh, maybe we could put those together. Uh, so I used characters from a couple of different series, and I used some of the uh, the uh, plot uh, ideas from several of the different shows and kind of worked them together. Um, I used Harlan Ellison's uh, uh, Guardian of Forever in uh, Orphans, and I was very thankful he never sued me because uh, I was you know, waiting for that to happen. But um, uh, I used Guardian of Forever uh, in the Orphans uh, book, and uh, that worked out very well. And like I said, they uh, I ended up winning the, the grand prize for that for that volume. But yes, they, uh, they're set in Star Trek and I use a lot of different stuff from different shows and series to, to make them happen. Well, I, I suppose there's something we could say that, that there's something appropriate about it going from a Western set in space to a <laughs> fantasy set in a Western milieu. So how did you get the idea to mash up these particular elements, uh, from the or the particular elements from the book that is, Six Gantero is a Western novel, but it's also a fantasy novel, and it's a fantasy novel that deals with matters of high theology. So, how did this 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 notion come to you that you were going to you were going to write a book set in this kind of a environment? Uh, um, one of the things that's been really interesting about uh, doing uh, interviews and, and blog stuff is I've had a lot of people asking me about uh, I've. I've one of the things that uh, gets thrown around a lot is kind of the word uh, genre bender. Uh, and, and I guess Six Gun is. I, a lot of times what I do is I'll write uh, what I think. I, I like to take a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts, and put them together. Um, and a lot of times I'm not really writing thinking about genre. I'm thinking more about this is this works well with this and this is cool. And, you know, I, I, I just tend to think that way. So I've had people uh, talk about steampunk influences in it. And uh, I really thought of it more as a horror story, to be honest, a Western horror. Uh, and um, but uh, the initial idea uh, came to me back in the early 90s. Um, I just came up. Upon reading something about uh, a lot of the little you know towns in the West that, uh, as the Mormons were moving through, uh, heading west, and uh, they would set up these little settlements and towns, and a lot of them had very uh, you know biblical sounding names, and I, I I just got the idea for a town called Golgotha because you know Golgotha is kind of a creepy sounding name, and uh, it's uh, it's a place that has a lot of negative connotations for you know suffering and pain. Uh, Basically, uh, it started to come to me that wouldn't it be neat to have this this little western town in the middle of nowhere uh, that had all of these kind of Peyton Place, Salem's Lot, kind of Twin Peaks-esque sort of uh, influences where everybody had some kind of a dark secret. And a lot of the secrets would be uh, supernatural or or, or – bordering on the supernatural, uh, at least abnormal. Um, and, uh, sometimes, sometimes things that are, are just sort of aberrant without being supernatural are even scarier than the supernatural things. Um, 
so I, I started kind of toying with the idea then. I, I, I wrote a few chapters uh, from an entirely different point of view. I actually had the sheriff coming to Golgotha uh, in the initial drafts, and uh, he was sort of your gateway into the town. Um, but he had sort of a weird backstory himself, and I didn't think that that was a really accessible way to get the reader into the story. So I you know, kicked it around some more. And I came up with uh, with Jim Negri, and and Jim is your sort of your gateway in for the reader, um, and, and he gets introduced to this very bizarre town. He starts to see just how bizarre it is, and um, that that was kind of the, the, the initial germ of the idea. And and I, I, I knocked it around in the '90s, uh, and then I got back to making a living doing you know nonfiction writing. Uh, in uh, shortly after, actually, I think uh, I won the. Uh, the Strange New Worlds contest in 2006. That's when I really started to kind of uh, spend as much time as I could working on the novel. And it took about about three years to uh, to finish, and um, you know, and it was on and off. And and I got it finished and uh, uh, in earnest. And that, and that was that was pretty much how kind of the genesis of that idea. Is it, it started out, you know, quite a while back, um, and I never really had the time or the attention to to bring it out uh and after uh after i won the, the contest i was like well you know wow maybe i could uh maybe i could tackle that novel so uh uh that's that's really the genesis of it we should probably step back a second and i should ask you which i'm going to do now to give us an essential background or essential uh riff on what the on what the um, what Six Gun Tarot is about? What should readers know when they're making a decision about whether or not to pick it up? Uh, uh, what should they know about it? Um, well, there's a there's a hundred dollar bill hidden in each uh, volume of the Six Gun Tarot. No, no. Um, it is a uh, a western, uh, at least on the surface, um, as you read into it and i tried to have the book unlock this way it does sort of unlock like a puzzle box you it starts off a little strange and as you get deeper in uh it it becomes a lot stranger i really wanted the town to be uh a central character in the story so uh so the, so the town itself uh, i tried to uh, give a lot of character to but it's basically um a story of, of, of many different people. It's many different stories. Uh, one review actually said it was almost like reading an anthology of short stories all set in the same place. Uh, but the stories slowly converge together uh, to, to bring uh, the, the characters that we're focusing on uh, into conflict. Um, it's, it's actually, I wrote the thing and it's hard for me to describe exactly what it is. It's, um, uh, well, the, we have key, the sort of key elements as I as I would read it, and mm -hmm. I'd like you to expand on them. Sure. You know, is that as you say, we have a town uh, in Nevada, uh, and that town uh, sits near uh, an ancient evil, uh, and which is of course the sort of dry underlying driver of the plot. Yes. Uh, and you work out through then characters from disparate backgrounds uh, coming together or being together when this evil awakes, a whole set of larger kind of um, mashup is an overused term, but you, you work out a kind of, uh, a kind of a fusion theological yeah. background uh, so that 
what is how so that that this town becomes the center of a cosmological struggle with cosmological significance, uh, both literally and thematically. Uh, so, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the stories is that you are sort of fearless. You you are rather fearless to tread into a theological terrain that <laughs> might upset a number of people. Uh, and I was hoping that maybe you would elaborate on. Uh, the particular kind of theological vision of of the novel. One one of the nicest things that's been uh, said to me is I had a, a friend of mine uh, tell me that uh, a lot of the theology, uh, some of the discussion you have you have uh, angels in here and you have uh, the devil show up at one point and uh, quite a few other uh, supernatural and kind of mythological uh, entities show up and uh, it was compared to good omens. Uh, sort of the you know sort of a tongue in cheek kind of look at, at theology and um, that was not my intention when I was writing it. Um, what I guess what I would would say is that um, I tried to present uh, a a universe where uh, perception and belief uh, are are key to uh, to, to how you view the universe, how you view uh, the forces in the universe. Uh, there's a there's a line in the book where um, someone says, you know, if you uh, ask a Christian, a Mormon, uh, a Native American, uh, you know how you know how the universe came into being, uh, how the universe will end, um, what are the what are the entities that you know move through this universe and 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 have uh, effect on it. Um, you get different answers, but they're all correct, um, and they all have their own place and in, in, in their own kind of their own realm of power. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things I sort of try to get at is that uh, uh, amongst the Native Americans, uh, their spirits are strong, and they and they have a, a, an effect on the universe, and they live in a universe that is, uh, you know, uh, directed towards that uh, that culture's mindset. Uh, Christians, same thing. Mormons, same thing. Uh, you have different, uh, almost almost different kind of cosmologies, uh, and they all bang into each other in Golgotha. And well, they sort of live side by side with each other. If you turn the right corner, uh, you're under a new uh, set of rules and a new sort of a new cosmology. Um, and uh, one of the things that I was actually very proud of is how it works in the book that, that basically they can all get along. <laughs> they can all they can all coexist uh, to a degree uh, within their own realms and and uh, the uh, the theology and, and actually I've had a lot of people tell me how they they really thought it was a it was a strong theological book I had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, philosophy in it I swear to God when I was I was writing uh, writing a horror western I was having fun <laughs> and um, I you know I I do. Uh, I, I do spend some time, you know, thinking about how how the universe is put together and how it works, and usually have events happen in your life that will uh, bring that into focus and uh, will, you know, oftentimes make you question, uh, you know, what you know, sort of what the mechanics of the universe are, and is there anybody driving the bus, or are we pretty much on our own? Um, and I, a lot of those questions, I. I don't pretend to have the. I don't pretend to have the answers to any of those questions. 
but I, I think that a lot of my personal philosophy about maybe how things work uh, leaked into the Sixth Gun Tarot. And, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of tongue in cheek in there too because uh, you do have uh, uh, you have angels uh, and, and the and the devil Lucifer uh, arguing uh, God's plan. Uh, you have. Uh, um, you know, and actually, I, I tried, and I really did try to take all of this stuff uh, with some reverence. The, the a lot of the Mormon uh, theology that's that's in the book, um, I, I tried to treat it completely serious and just and completely you know with with reverence. You know, it's it, it's it, it's a it's a way that people look at the world, and it's it's a it's a belief system that they have, and I don't want to to. Uh, make fun of that um, any more than I want to make fun of you know any other religion. I, I, I think that everybody has a right to uh, see how the universe unfolds their own way. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting when you start putting together. And actually, I'm, I'm doing work on a sequel for Six Gun, and I'm, I'm working on some theological stuff in there. And it's it's really interesting. I was uh, looking into some, some stuff for the Cain and Abel uh, story, the, the story you know from the Bible of Cain and Abel. And interestingly enough, I believe it's Cherokee. There's like a Cherokee story that works almost exactly like Cain and Abel. Um, it's just fascinating. It, it, it's it, you really do see these these kind of you know uh, sort of Jungian uh, archetypes that that kind of keep popping up in in uh, the belief systems in the world and, uh, and you know basically teaching kind of fundamental lessons or, or or making fundamental points. So you know I, I'm really I'll be happy to take the credit. <laughs> For being deep, but um, it was not uh, it was not my intention. It was uh, it was totally accidental. Um, I uh, I just I, I I threw these questions out because a lot of them seem to be things that the characters would would ask or things that the characters would ponder, and the way the universe was set up, the cosmology of the universe was set up. Uh, there are things I had to really address. I and I've actually had some some of the reviews that I've read. Um, Mentioned that you know my my cosmology is kind of kind of fast and loose and it is, it really is and it's supposed to be that way intentionally because uh, literally um, sometimes the the supernatural elements and the kind of the the uh, religious elements might address themselves to one character and they never make an appearance to anyone else um, so they they are supposed to be a kind of personal interpretations of how how the universe works or, or doesn't. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you, you talk about archetypes and kind of templates for mythology. And obviously the status of the West, uh, the wild West, the Western uh, is carries with it its own set of archetypes and mythologies in particularly the American imagination. Yes. One of the, one of those involves in fact, very typically a kind of morality play where good meets evil uh, in a small town uh, in the West uh, where the devil is, is, is metaphorically or literally in some respects personified uh, metaphorically or literally metaphorically personified the forces of evil by uh, a particular uh, character uh, and the forces of good by another. Sometimes those are, you know, the sheriff and the outlaw. Sometimes they're inverted. Uh, and there's a showdown uh, yes. and, and, and good triumphs and, and the, the nature, the sort of order of the universe is set right. And this is a, a, an element which is very common in, in even high fantasy. Um, yes. Same set of kind of templates and archetypes. Uh, but you're not, as, as you sort of alluded to earlier, you're not content to 
just uh, kind of work through that mythology. There's a lot of, um, uh, and you sort of described as tongue in cheek, but there's a lot of play here. There's a lot of poking of fun at some of those elements. Um, are there any particular ones that 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 you might want to draw out and comment on for our listeners? Um, I I'm very actually I'm very proud of how uh, Lucifer uh, uh, turned out in the book. Um, I, I wrote him uh, at one point, and a very dear friend of mine who uh, was was you know kind of my 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 critic and my uh, uh, my editor. And my fangirl all kind of rolled into one. Uh, she pointed out to me that uh, she didn't really like the way Lucifer was being presented. And I, and I looked at it and I kind of re- rewrote him a bit. And I was happy with the way he turned out. Um, basically, um, uh, there's there's some just there's a, there's a cute little moment where uh, an angel tells Lucifer something to the effect. It's, it's always been my experience that. Uh, things tend to break down in the smallest elements of, of, of the problem. And Lucifer says something like, Oh, that's, that's kind of catchy. I think I'll, I think I'll, I think I'll use that. Um, sort of alluding to the devils and the details. Um, there's a, there's a point where, uh, Lucifer, uh, sort of, uh, implies that he invented lying, which, uh, was kind of fun. Um, I like some of the, uh, banter, kind of back and forth between the Mormon elders and uh, one of the, the main characters, uh, Harry Pratt. Um, uh, Harry is, uh, I think Harry represents a lot of people in our, in our society today in that he has been raised around a very uh, strong religious background, but, but has no, doesn't have a lot of faith, doesn't have a lot of belief in that system or in those, in those, those beliefs. Um, but uh, during the course of the book, Harry, you know, has no choice. He's he's kind of dragged kicking and screaming to uh, to admit whether he likes it or not that uh, the you know the, that these things are, are are relevant and they're 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 existing in his universe and they're and they're impacting his universe. Um, so I was, I was kind of happy about it. Harry is I think Harry's a, a, a good example of I think a lot of people. Um, have a, a kind of a, an aversion to even uh, exploring their spirituality in, in any kind of organized religion. Um, organized religion, I think, has gotten uh, the um, whether it's, it's whether it's deserved or not, it has gotten a reputation for being sort of dogmatic and not really open to a lot of interpretation. And I I don't believe that's true. I, I actually believe that. Uh, uh, all you know that that you know you can explore your spirituality many different ways, and uh, if you were raised in a certain faith or belief, and you explore that, and you push it, and you challenge it, and you test it, and you find strength in it, um, and and you make you make your faith work for you. Um, that's something that I think kind of I tried to to bring across is that um, you, know, you can you can basically. Um, there's a there's an old saying, you know, uh, in regards to things like uh, like voodoo, for example, uh, that uh, you know it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. If you do you believe in the ocean, you know, because whether you believe in the ocean or not, it, it'll get you'll get wet if you step in it. Um, same same sort of thing. Uh, basically, uh, you you know, sometimes spirituality will find you even if you're not ready for it to find you or are very resistant to it finding you. Um, you know, the universe just opens itself to you and shows you something and you have to decide how you're going to, 
how you're going to take that and, and what you're going to, what you're going to learn from it. Um, so I, I, I think that, uh, to make a very short question long, um, <laughs> I, uh, I think that I'm very happy with, uh, with how Harry, uh, faces, uh, his own particular, uh, kind of, uh, crisis of faith and, uh, and gain strength from it. I'm happy with, I, I really did try to, like I said, I, I did try to, to, uh, you know, there's stodgy, there's several like stodgy old Mormon elders in the town and Harry has to kind of come to them to, to get some counsel. And, uh, I was, I was happy with how they worked out because, um, you do have, you know, in, in most faiths, you have people who are very dogmatic and, and, and maybe not terribly open-minded to, uh, to different interpretations or even to, you know, even to different people. And, um, uh, so I did try to represent those, but I also try to represent that these faiths also have a lot of good people, and they have people that that truly embrace the the heart of the faith. Um, the uh, there's a minister in town, uh, a reverend, I believe, that that uh, is kind of a minor character, but he's a, he's a decent fellow. And um, uh, I tried to I tried to do that with all of the all of the religions that uh, are touched on. Is that uh, uh, you know the faith itself is uh, has inherent tenets that are that are that are good things for the, for the human spirit, for, for, for human existence. They, they, they nurture and uplift. Uh, and, and then there's also one of the bad guys, um, in the book is, is a very twisted, um, uh, insane, uh, minister <laughs> who, uh, who has a very, very dark, twisted, uh, one we might say Lovecraftian kind of view of the universe. Um, and, uh, uh, he's, you know, sort of representing the, the, the part of, uh, spirituality that can become dogmatic and even dangerous and, and can harm people. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm happy with the way those, those things, those elements kind of popped out. Um, it was, it wasn't part of some master plan. I really should stop saying that though. I should just say, yes, yes, I, I planned it that way. And gosh, uh, pat myself on the back and say, boy, wasn't that brilliant. Um, but, uh, it, it really just was me having the characters talk and say the things that, uh, I felt they would say and kind of having the universe sort of unfold to them the way I thought it should unfold. What you've just alluded to gets at a kind of interesting tension though, which I think in some ways takes us all the way back to what you were talking about earlier on, right? So you, you be, one of the things that you've mentioned is that, um, People have been interested in the theological dimensions of the book. Um, that's been a theme that's been, as you said, in a lot of the reviews. It's a theme that I've been pressing you on. Um, yeah. And um, the uh, so, in, in one sense, you know, you sort of you've created a world in which, as you put it, uh, different kind of belief systems uh, coexist, uh, walk uh, alongside one another, and and sometimes then interpenetrate one another. Um, yes. And indeed, that gets us into interesting kind of. Of, of, of meta mythologies about America and West as a place of the where 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 different kind of belief systems mix and have to learn to get along, even if uh, at some level they they posit exclusive things. Uh, so you've kind of worked with that in interesting ways uh, in the context of the book. At the same time, of course, that kind of perspective is very threatening to to belief systems that claim universal universal validity, because the admission of uh, a relative character to their spiritual beliefs, their cosmological order is, in theory, uh, invalidates them. Uh, and the reason I, I raise all this is that the, the, the twisted, the, there's something very interesting going on because the, 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 the twisted preacher Hugh mentioned, you know, uh, in fact, when we first are introduced to the, 
the big bad, the the evil lurking near Golgotha. Um, he makes reference to Gnostic texts, right? And yes. the, the the sort of the excising of of anything that that smacks of Gnosticism during the compilation of the the New Testament. Um, yes, and so very clearly for him. Gnostic truth implies, you know, a God being prior to, uh, which is, of course, the Christian Gnosticism, you know, there's a, yes. a God being prior to God, the yes. God that we worship is the Demiurge who, the, who falsely claims credit for creation. Uh, the, the, the soul is in prison, you know, this is a prison for the spirit. And there's a lot of cool stuff going on with the way that you play with that in a horror context. Um, but uh, so, in a sense, you know, his, his motivation comes out of a, a twisted Gnostic theology. Yes. But at the same time, because of the way in which you relativize and particularize the overlapping of different cosmologies, uh, the Christian God is, in fact, a, a, a kind of Gnostic figure. There is creation that uh, that that pre-exists him, uh, and uh, he is, does not exercise the kind of Augustinian time out of you know position out of time that we associate with Christianity. So how, how do you how do you kind of navigate that that, <laughs> that difficulty? That's that set of kind of tensions in in the book. Um, well, I, I think you're getting to some of my my core questions about the nature of of, of you know. Spiritual existence. I, I, uh, I've, I've been fascinated by Gnosticism for a long time, and uh, I was very happy to be able to work some of that into uh, into the book. Um, I, you know, it, it's. I have to say, in my, in my, you know, and, and I don't want to offend any of. Uh, I have many friends of many faiths. I don't want to offend anyone. Uh, I'll be, I'll be honest. The, the folks that I know who are my friends who are very strong in their faiths and who their faiths sustain them and nurture them and help them in their life. Uh, those folks are also some of the most open people that I've ever met to other interpretations of, of their beliefs. They don't take it personal. They don't feel slighted or, uh, that that's some sort of blasphemy. Um, I think uh, I think that that's uh, you know if if we are to assume that you know we were you know there was a there was a creation and there was uh, in some way uh, a design uh, behind uh, our our evolution and our our eventual becoming you know thinking spiritual reasoning creatures uh, I I would I have a trouble thinking that there would be a creator who would give us these uh, attributes give us the ability to reason and the ability to question. That's actually something that comes up in the book a lot is um, there's a, there's a character uh, early on in the book, uh, uh, Bequa, the, the angel angel Bequa's basically his crime. And it's not even really a crime, but it's perceived by the other angelic host as a crime is questioning. And, and I like to think that Bequa was like the first skeptic. He's actually the first person to just ask why, why are we, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this this way? Um, and uh, he's still loyal to the host. He, he doesn't rebel as Lucifer does. He, he stays loyal to the host, stays at his post. Um, but he questions. And, and it seems to me that if we were created in the image of a creator and we were given uh, the ability to, to have free will and we were given the ability to have uh, reasoning and questioning, uh, then that would imply that our creator 
wanted those qualities in us. Um, and I think that uh, it's, there are there are folks who um, I, and I knew when I when I finished the thing when I finished writing it I knew there were going to be some folks who I was going to to piss off I just knew that I knew there were going to be folks who were going to um, going to read this and and be upset by my interpretation of God by my interpretation of. Uh, of the universe and, 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 and actually, you know, some of the stuff, uh, so not so much the stuff with the Mormonism. Uh, I don't think, I think I played that very, you know, I try to be very respectful and very just kind of straightforward with, with the Mormon beliefs. Uh, however, the main vehicle for the Mormon beliefs in the book, the character that kind of embodies them, uh, has some social, uh, stigma that would, you know, would, would cause trouble with the Mormon church. So, um, you know, basically, it is a very it's a, it's a it's like a navigating a maze full of razor blades. I'm going to get some nicks and some cuts because uh, you're talking about something very personal and very you know you know. And my mother, uh, my mother, I was raised Baptist. I am uh, my mom is uh, is a Baptist, and she has been through two horrible tragedies. My father passed away when I was very young. Uh, my sister's father, her first husband, passed away when she was very young. My mother endured both of those and came out of it stronger through her faith. I, I can't, there's so many people in this, in this world who have stories like that, who they, their faith and their belief in, in some power, some force that uh, makes this all make sense at the end. Um, you can't, you, you, you may you may debate the belief, but it's I, I always try to respect the person who has the belief because you know you don't know what they've been through, you don't know what their life has led them to, and you know faith can can do wonderful things for a person's life, can uh, help them a lot. Uh, faith can also become blinders that that keeps you from seeing uh, other possibilities and other. Uh, other, uh, you know, avenues of, of, of thought, uh, that, uh, may be just as valid and you don't have to believe them. You can just respect them. So uh, to answer your question, I, I, it is, it is tough to navigate because, um, I, I think I would love to, uh, uh, to have seen how, how the world would have developed if, uh, if, if the Gnostic gospels had been allowed into, the final uh, sort of sort of the mass-produced, you know, King James, you know, version of the Bible. I would love to see what effects those would have had on 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 Western civilization, and and uh, I, th I think they would have would have actually changed a lot of uh, a lot of concepts and a lot of a lot of kind of social mores and things like that might have been might have been different. Um, and, and the conspiracy, and I'm, I'm a big conspiracy nut. I love uh, you know all kinds of conspiracy stuff. You know, basically. Uh, I can see why a, a group of people who wanted to kind of control uh, faith is power too, and faith is control, uh, especially during the earlier periods of human history. Um, I can see why you would not want to have a, uh, uh, a religious uh, doctrine that said that you know there's uh, there's a lesser god, and, and then there's a greater god, and then the one that we deal with is a lesser god, because that would probably weaken. The power, the absolute power of of whatever church or whatever, you know, theocracy you were dealing with. Um, so I, I understand why they, they kind of got <laughs> kind of got buried. Um, and there's some very nasty little little dark alleyways in history of uh, folks who uh, 
who, who tried to keep those particular uh, you know, documents alive, and, and they were they were pretty brutally put down by uh, by the larger church because they, you know, it was just that that was a scary doctrine. Um, the uh, you know, and, and it doesn't even have anything. We're not even getting into religion now. This is more to deal with with politics and power. If you have something that lets you control a large portion of the the population of the human race, uh, you you want to keep it. You know, you want to keep the message simple. And you want to keep it uh, something that's uh, that easily accessible. You don't want a lot of ambiguity in there, like throwing in extra gods and stuff like that. That's you know that that that's really you know, kind of you know makes it a little too fuzzy. And and we don't want fuzzy. We want we want something that's you know good and easy to package. <laughs> well, we've we've gotten into very heavy terrain, and it's a little unfortunate because one of the things about this book is that it's a very breezy book, and um, mm-hmm. it's fun to read. And despite the kind of heaviness of these themes and and the kind of the fusion theology, the the horror elements, um, it's all handled with a, a great deal of um, in the spirit of fun, shall we say, right? It's um, yes. and and there is this tongue and cheek quality to your writing. So I don't want to I don't want to make sure we don't lose that or that <laughs> listeners don't think that you know actually yep. this is this is you know they're, they're, this is a tract about you know the nature if of you, belief or anything like that. Uh, um, if you read the Six Cantero, you will have had six credits of theology. Um, shoved in. No, no, it, it's actually, it really is. It's a fun, it's a fun little Western fantasy. Um, it's just, it seems, yeah. And it's really, it's seriously, when I wrote the thing, the, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very, uh, honored that people have, have read some of the things they've read into it. And I, uh, uh, I can't, I can't say that, you know, that there isn't, you know, there is a spiritual component to it because, um, I think a lot of a lot of the uh, I don't want to you know certainly want to spoil my own book, but a lot of the outcome has to do with with the miraculous nature of of humanity um, that that uh, we you know we can solve our own problems uh, that we we have this spark of divinity in us that can that we can summon up and can can let us do extraordinary things horrible things too you know, atrocious things, but also that that spark of, of, of divinity can, can be used for just for unlimited potential. And I really do believe that that's, that's something I, I can, I can definitely wrap my, uh, wrap my brain around and, and say, I, I believe humans are, are miraculous creatures. We, we have the best and worst of qualities in us. There's, there's no greater angel or no more terrible demon than, than the human being. I, I honestly think that we, we carry all of that in us. Um, but yeah, it's a fun book. I mean, <laughs> it really is. There's there's gunfights and uh, you know uh, just lots of lots of fun stuff in there. And it's and it's really kind of I mean it's kind of cool. I gotta admit it's kind of neat to to have you know a, a lot of this other stuff kind of read into it because um, it's there. It's just it was never my intent to. Uh, I guess it, it, it peaked out without me uh, really wanting it to. <laughs> so I, I have two questions I want to ask you before we um, we call it a. A day, I guess, would be the term. Um, the first is uh, that is that it, it sounds like you had a, just an enormous amount of fun writing this book. And uh, oh, right, yes, I remember what it was. So, all right. So there were there were actually two questions I wanted to ask you before we we, we wrap this up. The first is that I can't prove this, but I get it feels to me as if the Western setting is getting a lot more attention as 
object of exploration in science fiction and fantasy right now, that there seems to be a, an uptick in sort of the 19th century, not just the – I mean obviously there's steampunk in the Victorian 19th century, right. but, the, but the, the American Wild West as a setting to play out fantasy and speculative fiction themes. But it sounds like you started this uh, project – quite some time ago. Um, do you get the sense that there's a particular kind of appetite for these kinds of stories now in this kind of setting? You know, it's it's actually kind of interesting because when I was writing this and I was getting near – well, basically when I started trying to figure out how to sell it, you know, I, was, I finished up the draft and I was polishing. And I was like, who the hell is going to buy a, a, a horror Western with all of this this weird – Stuff in it. I mean, because you know everything I had, you know, had and, and the, everything I had understood about the the publishing industry was they they're looking for trends, they're looking for for genres. You know, uh, Harry Potter uh, is big, so they're looking for you know kind of young adult uh, wizardly fiction. Um, the Anita Blake books um, uh, were huge, so then you had this like wave of kind of uh, uh, sort of uh, edgy almost fetishy kind of romance stuff. Um, now you have, for example, 50 shades and, and you're, you're going to have, you know, this way I've already seen them, you know, it's like they have them. It's like, do they pull them out of a drawer or something and have them ready to publish as soon as, you know, it's like, ah, I've got something like this um, to, uh, to the credit. I, I think that the editors and the folks at the publishing houses get an enormous amount, should get an enormous amount of credit because they are prognosticators. They, they, they kind of stick their finger out and try to figure out what the weather is going to be. And um, I, uh, I was fortunate enough through tour. Uh, I met a very, very nice lady named Stacy Haig Hill, who's one of the editors at tour at uh, DragonCon. And I pitched her this book in about 30 seconds. I was just like, I was a schlub in the audience. And I came up after the panel and I said, uh, I've been working on this thing. It's a horror Western. It's kind of like Zane Gray mashed up with HP Lovecraft. Um, and, uh, she said, well, I'm looking for Westerns right now. So she, you know, we got some contact information and that's how the ball got rolling. Then it went to, eventually it came in front of, uh, a, a brilliant author and wonderful editor, uh, Greg Cox and Greg read it. Stacy got it in front of Greg, Greg read it and, uh, uh, liked it a lot and saw, saw merit in it. I, I honestly think that um, you know that that you know through some kind of weird zeitgeist they, they do, there these are trends that that are out there and a lot of these folks from the publishing houses are kind of like sort of like panning for gold to use a kind of a Western metaphor they're panning for gold and they're looking for uh, stuff that that kind of sticks out and a lot of times uh, for some weird reason um, whether it's coincidence or intent they they tend to kind of kind of clump into sort of certain genres and at certain times. Um, I've, I've seen, uh, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't had a chance to, but there's, there's several uh, Western uh, fantasies uh, that are out and uh, uh, that are, that are things I want to read. I believe one of them is called uh, dead of winter. I believe I've heard a lot of good stuff about that. I want to try to pick that up. And um, there was another one I saw just the other day. I can't, it's it just, I can't remember it right off the top of my head, but, they look really fascinating, and I want to read them and see see their their particular take on on the West. I think one of the things about uh, about it is is, is the the steampunk uh, 
genre has gained a huge amount of, of popularity, and rightly so. I think it's a, I think it's fascinating. I think I think what's what's happened is you know there, there's the old saying there's only so a certain number of, of stories that can be told, and it really isn't how you tell them. So we're constantly striving to find new ways to tell the same old stories. One of the reviews for Six Gun was talking about how like you know having this huge cosmic Lovecraftian horror that's going to destroy creation is kind of hackneyed. It is. Um, I I I knew that when I was when I was writing the book. I, I, I that's one of the reasons I, I sort of put it a little bit tongue in cheek is because um, that is that is a, kind of a trope. It's it's something that's you know almost to the point of, of parody. What I tried to focus on instead was the people in that situation and their differences, their strengths, their weaknesses, and how how they responded to that. The um, the 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 major threat you know kind of the the the, the antagonist uh, is is it was almost kind of like just there to kind of prop up the story of these people um, it was never I never thought you know having this thing destroy the universe would was like was a really you know brilliant idea that had never been tried before um, but I you were completely insane in other words right right exactly yes so I I really my I thought what made my little story special was the people and, and the characters and, and how they uh, how they're introduced to you. I wanted I wanted to make I wanted to make real people and wanted to make them people that you'd want to spend more time with. And and that's I've been very fortunate in that because that's a lot of the reviews are saying they really love the characters uh, and want to see more of this character, see more of that character. And, and that's kind of awesome to hear. It's it makes you feel really good because they because uh, there's there's characters and you know it's funny I I get to a place when I'm writing where I feel bad about doing these horrible things to my characters sometimes. It's like, I'm a bastard, but I, uh, you know, you have to do that, you know, you know, basically, you know, struggle and, and conflict. Those are the crucibles that, that burn away and leave you with something, you know, make, they basically change the character hero's journey, which is another trope basically. Um, but you know, I think Westerns, um, appeal to people more so now for one of the reasons that they've always appealed to me is, um, we live in a society where we drive through an intersection and there are cameras watching us. We swipe our card at the grocery store and someone somewhere knows what we just purchased and knows how to send marketing to our computers and our homes to try to get us to consume things based off what we just purchased. Um, we have all of these layers of control and, and surveillance, for lack of a better term, observation, if you don't want to be quite as paranoid. Um, we live in a very straight jacket constrained society. We have freedom, especially compared to some other places in, in the world. We have a ton of freedom. But, but that freedom is, is, is not as free as it used to be. And I think there's a lot of people who long for, for that, that particular time when you carried your fate on your hip and you, uh, you could go out – if things were bad where you were, you could just go out a little bit further west and start over. And um, you didn't have all the chains of your life kind of constantly wrapped around you and dragging behind you. Uh, I think there's something that's very enriching and very uh, appealing to the human spirit in that. I think it's one of the reasons science fiction uh, always does as well as it's done. It's it's always I mean it, it it's you know science fiction is the, the the kid who gets picked on in the locker room you know the boys locker room but science fiction sells well and science fiction has stayed around for as long as it has because it gives us hope 
that we can always go a little bit further out west. We can always find another place to go to start over, and we'll have new challenges, and we'll have new adventures, we'll have new uh, delights and new terrors. And, and that's something that I think, I think that frontier spirit isn't something that's just American. I think it's very much just ingrained in the human spirit. You know, the earliest people explored. You know, you, you, you have Vikings getting on these tiny little rafts, for lack of a better term, and going across the ocean looking for, looking for places to, sure, to plunder, but, <laughs> but they're also looking for more than what they had. And I think that's just something intrinsic in human nature, and I think Westerns embody some of that. They embody a, a time when we had more, uh, more freedom. Um, and it's kind of a, and one of the things I, I do kind of hit in the book a little bit is I, Golgotha is one of, the, one of the biggest fantasy parts of Golgotha is having all of these different people with all these different backgrounds getting along so well. <laughs> because that's, you know, that's more, that's more freaky than a magic ring that, you know, can rule the universe. Um, basically, uh, you know, we, we we the you know that period of time was socially very constraining for a lot of people. Um, if you were gay in the 1800s, God help you. <laughs> you might find these you know, little enclaves of acceptance, but for the most part, you know, and not just the 1800s. You know, you, you, there's just periods of time where certain people have have been oppressed and they've been straightjacketed, for lack of a better term, and. Um, one of the things I tried to do, one of the things I had to flip a little bit with this is this is a Western that's, that's fairly inclusive. <laughs> I tried to stick in a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, um, and they don't always like each other, um, but they somehow manage to get along. Usually it's because – and this is sort of historically – usually it's because there's something bigger and nastier that will eat all of them if they don't get along. So um, that's, that's been a, big, a driving force in human – you know, society for a long time is, you know, I, you know, I really don't like you. I don't like how you live, but you know, you're better than that thing over there. <laughs> so, um, that's, you know, basically I, I, one of the things about the kind of a, kind of an inverse of what you're talking about is, you know, Westerns represent a lot of freedom. Um, but for certain groups of people, uh, in society, uh, that period of time was, was very repressive. So what I've tried to do is is sort of flip it and make it so uh, it's you know it's freedom for everyone, even even folks who historically may have not not been able to 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 have that freedom. Uh, uh, a lot of the characters, and if I get a chance to do some work on the, you know, I'm working on a sequel now. But this is what I was about to ask you about. So so the sequel. <laughs> yeah yeah, basically I'm I'm hoping I can can continue that. Uh, you know, basically some of the characters in the first book, um, they they come to. Sometimes uh, your your restraints can be ones that you put on yourself, and uh, I think some of the characters in the books, uh, in the first book, uh, have come to terms by the end of the book with who they are and what they are. Um, they still have a, a lot of you know hurdles and obstacles, but I think that they can still. Uh, hopefully that we'll continue to kind of explore that in the in the other stories I want to tell. So. Um, are you interested in kind of what's going on with the sequel or that sort of thing? Because um, well, can... why don't you give us a, a very brief, um, a very brief kind of what should we be looking forward to in the next book? Well, first of all, I hope I can sell it <laughs> because I haven't sold it yet. So um, I'm, I'm hoping it'll sell. Um, so in other words, we know if we want the sequel, we need to run out and buy this book right now to convince the marketers that you know, it's, uh... <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. I, I mean, uh, I, I don't. 
I really can't speak to you know what happens with the next book. I am immensely thankful for this book. And uh, if I don't get to write any more Golgotha books, uh, well, I'm going to write them anyway. But if I don't get to sell any more Golgotha books, um, I, I will be you know, eternally grateful to Tor for this one because um, they took a chance on me. They took a shot on me, and I've been very honored and flattered and a little amazed, more than a little amazed by the reviews because people seem to really like it. They really seem to dig it, and uh, that makes me happy. But the sequel um, – I want to uh, kind of continue with the ensemble uh, thing, the ensemble cast. You, you don't really have a main hero. You have a hero of each chapter, and each person's a hero of their own story. Um, there's some of the characters who didn't get as much attention in Six Gun because I just you know, there was just too many folks that you know. I tried to tell as much as much of their stories as I could, given the constraints of the medium, and that it was one book and. Uh, um, and I thought it was, you know, pretty busy uh, to begin with. And uh, uh, basically, I want to uh, continue with the characters that we were introduced to in Six Gun. There's some new characters that are coming in. I do tend to kind of stick a few historical figures into my books, and there, there's historical figures that you know don't jump right out at you. There's, there's no, you know, Abraham Lincoln's or uh, you know, Wild Bill Cody or you know, you know, Buffalo Bill Cody or any, any of that stuff. Um, they're, they're basically uh, these little characters from obscure little corners of history that um, there's actually one in Six Gun that no one has discovered yet. And if they have discovered it, they haven't mentioned it. Um, but there is a historical figure in uh, Six Gun, a very infamous kind of historical figure that uh, has not uh, has not popped up yet. And at least as far as I know, no one's kind of gotten who it is yet. Um, I'm going to leave it there as a secret, but the sequel is, is going to be more the same. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, a strong, uh, strong basic outline, and I've been working on some chapters. Uh, we'll see how things go from there. Uh, if you like this book and you like the characters in it, you want to see more of them. Something else that's really interesting is there's a uh, you've read the book. You've the character of Maud, uh, Maud Stapleton. Uh, Maud has apparently really been someone that a lot of the reviewers have, have said really nice things about. And I've had several of the reviews basically say they'd like to see a series with Maud in it. Um, which I would well actually when I wrote the character, I, I was thinking that I could I could write a whole bunch of stuff just about Maud. Um, Maud and her mentor and and that whole kind of that particular little corner of the universe um, I would love to do some more stuff with if uh, if there's interest there and um, I hope there'll be some interest uh, I'm going to write them anyway even if there's not I can keep them in my file cabinet and when I'm an old guy I can pull them out and look at them and go ah yes I remember when or you <laughs> could just self-publish them now on, in, in digital media right so. uh, that's, that's true I you know I uh, I am still in shock I still feel like I'm in some kind of weird dream I'm going to wake up from that a major publishing house bought my book it just blows me away and I'm, i feel very fortunate and uh and honored and lucky i feel like i won the lotto <laughs> so um but uh yes but so there's a, there's a sequel coming um i'm also working on another book that's separate from golgotha uh that's a, a dark urban fantasy kind of a noir fantasy uh the working title of that is greenway the greenway um uh the uh, folks I've talked to about that title are not too keen on it, so we may end up changing that. But um, uh, it's uh, the, the, the basically to sum it up in like 
one little phrase would be, uh, if Galgotha is kind of Zane Grey meets H.P. Lovecraft, this is sort of Raymond Chandler, Jim Butcher mashed up with the story of O and Pulp Fiction. So... <laughs> So you are going for that Fifty Shades of Grey crowd, uh, audience? Is that what you're saying? Um, I it, again, you know, it's it's what I write what I write. I, I write what I'm interested in, and uh, there there's the the book is about power. Uh, it, it actually deals a lot with um, with the concept of, of money, mm-hmm. uh, with with the, the actual you know sort of the concept of currency and 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 wealth and and how that you know gives power and control. And as writing that, uh, as sort of a an algorithm of that, there's all kinds of different sort of power exchanges and power and control sort of relationships in the world, and, and fetish fetishistic sort of stuff, and uh, that just kind of happened. And you know, I guess I lucked out because <laughs> you know I've I've been writing this thing was a novella. I wrote it, I don't know, probably six years ago, uh, and then I started expanding it into a book. And I've, I seem to have gotten really fortunate in that some of the things that I find that I'm interested in start to show as trends, like westerns, and I just kind of looked into that. And um, and you know, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's the uh, the majority of the book is is anything like Fifty Shades, but it's got some some elements in there that would probably appeal to folks who liked that that particular thing. Um, but that's not really what the book's about. It's just it's it, any more so than than Six Gun was supposed to be theological. It's just kind of it's in there um, because it, it sort of seemed to work with the story. But uh, Greenway, I should I'm hoping to have uh, finished up here in the next few months, and uh, and then I can give the Six Gun sequel my full attention. And I'm hoping to have it done within the year is my is my hope. So uh, I'm hoping I can you know. Hoping that uh, the, the nice folks at Tor or are uh, some you know you know those good folks will uh, will see some merit in it and maybe they'll maybe they'll pick it up and if they don't you know I'll I, again like I said I am immensely thankful for this book because they everyone I've worked with at Tor um, uh, all the folks that I've dealt with um, have been uh, exemplary. They they really have uh, they've made this experience wonderful for me. Uh, they have been supportive uh, and very patient with uh, with someone who doesn't know the business at all asking a lot of stupid questions. So um, I'm very thankful for that. And, and like I said, I hope I can continue that relationship. But you know, it's it's going to depend on how this book does. So please go buy it. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, again for coming on, and uh, I hope that uh, you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I, uh, Thank you so much, and, and it was really a pleasure to talk about some of the, those elements because I, you know, really haven't had an opportunity to do that. So thank you, I really appreciate it. All right, well, so long. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy. My interview with Rod Belcher was recorded on January twenty fourth, two thousand and thirteen. Until next time, happy trails.